And welcome on this Saturday morning to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery. Heard every Saturday at 7 o'clock. I'm Dan DiOrio along with Ethan Wise of Hair Nursery. Grab your cup of coffee and let's get ready. In fact, we only got a little more than a month ready, right, uh, of, of, of this show because it ends at the end of October. So we got about six weeks yeah. left. Yeah. So, uh, but I know. This is, and I never thought about, first of all, two things. One, uh, now that the weather's cool, I'm taking back my garden. I am cutting back the stems off all my hosta, getting those weeds that grew up during that hot period. And I had an idea that I wanted to throw uh, with you. I'm thinking this fall, once I get it cleaned up in the next week, get everything exposed, I'm trimming back some of the longer leaves and some of the hosta to kind of shape them and get them more tight. And uh, I'm thinking of mulching heavy this fall. Will that give me a start towards yeah. next year? It'll insulate things quite nicely for you. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you're not piling, you know, you don't want the mulch to be right up on um, some of the things that you overwinter just because uh, insects uh, will also overwinter in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you, if you have the mulch too close to some of your plants, then you're giving them an insulated food source. Um, but other than that, yes, mulching before the end of the season, before it gets really cold, is going to help tremendously. Two to three inches of mulch. But you think when the ground starts to freeze, uh, it'll start to freeze five to the top five to six inches of the soil. So if you have two to three inches of mulch, you're buffering some of that frozen layer uh, in the ground, especially on newer planted things. So, yes, I, I wholeheartedly um, think that mulching is an excellent idea this fall. Plus, I'm thinking that uh, with that mulch down, um, because there are some bare spots or very thin mulch, it might help um, when the weeds try to pop up next year. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, although some weeds um, still like to thrive in mulch, they like because you know, many, many types of mulch, uh, come from uh, acidic trees, and lots of times uh, weeds thrive in, in acidic environments. Mm-hmm. So it can smother a lot of them, but there are a select few that are really hardcore tough buggers um, that'll like growing directly in the mulch. So it might still be a good idea to get on a preen or a pre-emergent uh, regimen, too. You could put that down and then put the mulch on top of the pre-emergent. Oh, and that will work towards next spring? Yes, yeah, especially uh, if you do it. Um, so so about every three months is when you want to put down something like preen. Oh. And so if you did it now, you could, and you, if you're really froggy, then you could do it in December, too, mm-hmm. and then again in March. And you uh. probably would have very few weeds coming up next spring. Because here's what I realized as I'm getting older. Once the temperature gives above, above 85, I'm not doing anything in my garden or in my flower beds like pulling weeds. I do it when it's sixty to sixty-five, so that I got to figure out that's because how that's to, perfect weather. Yeah, it is. It is. So, all right. Uh, and the second thing is, we are going to next week when you come in, uh, we are going to conclude the rehab of Ricky Dose. Ricky Dose, of course, yes. the original Ricky. We got to him too late. There was no rehab there. He was too strung out. And it was unfortunate for Ricky. His cousin across the couch uh, in our waiting room uh, was barely uh, barely alive. 
Uh, I think you had to give him mouth-to-leaf resuscitation and then start a yep. long rehab. He's currently, by the way, in Mexico, uh, just getting some last-minute sun before he comes back. Uh, but you know, oh, not too shabby. Okay. Yeah. So uh, before before when you released him, we just sent him to Mexico. So he's at a resort down there. He may come back a little fat, but that's okay. But uh, what oh, I oh, that's fine. I didn't know there was a WMBD um, Mexico resort. That sounds kind of well, nice. Well, we found a tree resort down there, so he's hanging out. <laughs> Hopefully, okay. he doesn't come back with anything. If you know what I mean. So uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but what I found very interesting in your rehab is you completely cleaned off the dirt, so he was naked, and you had to cover him up in the pictures. Yes. Now, did you... Yes, his roots were exposed. Yes, his roots were exposed. How long did you spray that? Did he lay that way for a while? Yeah, so um, the, what I did first was, uh, while well, he was he was kind of dry and crunchy mm-hmm. um, anyway, so I was able to... There was a lot of dead roots that were around him, so whenever you take a plant out of the pot and you notice a bunch of dried, shriveled, kind of hair-like roots around it, well, most of those are probably dead. So you can go ahead and get rid of those. And so that's what I ended up doing. Um, so what I did was I took a knife and I literally chopped the the outsides of that root ball off. And I turned that circle into a square. And then from there, I was able to really work my fingers in there uh, into the root ball and loosen up a lot of that soil. And then, yes, from there, I soaked it in a little bit of water. And then I was able to remove the rest of that soil and uh, clean off his roots as best as I could so that I could give him entirely fresh new soil um, with a specific fertilizer called Biotone, which is really good stuff. So what happens a lot of times when a, a, a plant like Ricky Doe sits and is neglected, there's a lot of it can get very compacted. Uh, in that root ball with a lot of dead roots, and so it's best to do that and clean that all out. You know, it's funny because when I see people on the garden shows on NPR uh, or on PBS uh, transfer hosta, that's what they do. They completely clean out all the roots, and uh, when they're splitting them and, and, and transferring them, they completely get out of the roots, all the dead stuff, and then kind of work out those roots, especially on older hostas. It's the same concept, mm-hmm. right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's a stimulation process that happens when you do that to encourage new growth. That little, when you damage some of the, now if you damage too much of the root system or you damage too many of the larger roots or too many of the white or bright yellow roots, then you can have a problem. But if you're just removing a lot of the smaller, adventitious, fibrous roots, especially the dead, crispy ones that look like kind of hair, then you're stimulating that plant to grow even more so. So, uh, yes, I do recommend doing that whenever you can. Um, it just it really helps. And also, when you do that and you really break up the root ball, uh, now it's less important for containers because eventually they're going to get root-bound anyway. But especially when you're planting outside, when you break up that root ball, you're encouraging those roots to grow outward. And that's really what you want. You want them to go north, south, east, west, left, right, and down. And if you just take it out of the container and you put it in the ground, well, those roots are just going to keep growing in a circle, in a circle, in a circle. And not only can that possibly strangle the plant, but it also leaches the nutrients in that area very quickly. When you have nutrients that are all, you know, kind of condensed in one spot, 
well, they only have a certain amount of access to nutrients, whereas if they grow outwards, then they can actively seek out um, all kinds of other good stuff. And what is that disease you called it last week where the roots kind of curl in and around each other and get compacted? Yes, that's called girdling, girdling, girdling roots. Yeah. And, yeah, that happens when they just keep growing around in a circle, and as they mature and get bigger and thicker, they start strangling each other out. Um, it's kind of like a pile of snakes, you know, and the, the stronger ones are going to live, and that's what kind of happens with their roots. And with girdling roots, what can happen is if you don't break up that root ball, then 10, 15, it could be a while, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, you might notice that your tree is just declining. Nothing you've done has changed. You can't tell that there's a disease on it. There's no insect damage. Watering has stayed the same. Fertilizer regimen is good, but it's inexplicably dying. Well, there's been plenty of times that I've diagnosed and other horticulturists here have diagnosed, oh, well, just by looking at the top of the soil, we can see that certain roots are growing around in a circle, and we can usually, oh, not usually, but we can sometimes uh, essentially break down and, and after asking questions like i think you have girdling roots hmm. so definitely definitely break up the root ball to the best of your ability on any plant but especially trees um so by the way in the highlight of his young career steve the plant got to introduce girdling roots at uh, summer camp so that was uh <laughs> yeah. he, he loved that that's yeah. right they're the bluegrass band right yes, i yeah, heard about girdling that. roots all right, so... As, I think you said they, they play barefoot. I remember that. That's right. They're barefoot. So, um, <laughs> uh, in fact, they got a song, Break Up Your Root Balls. It's one of their top hits. So, um... Ooh, yeah. okay. So, uh... I'm going to go on Pandora. <laughs> I'm thinking... So, as we head to fall, it's going to be hot this weekend, 90s into Monday. But as we cool into the 70s... If people want to do some splitting and moving, irises, um, hosta, mm -hmm. and, 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 mm -hmm. and what other things can you do in the fall as far? Can you split hosta and move them in the fall? You can. I do think you'll have a better success rate if you wait until spring. Okay. But if you can do it now, especially some people's hosta, some of the earlier growing ones, you, you might notice that they're already starting to die back. Like I have a hosta um, on the side of my house underneath a Japanese maple that's already been in declining. It's been declining over the last couple of weeks. And so at that stage, yes. Uh, and it's early enough in the season um, where it could still establish. But the reason why hostas work so well in spring is right when they're waking up is because that's when they're producing all kinds of new adventitious root growth. So I think it's kind of a split argument. I think there'll be some horticulturists that you'll say that'll say, no, don't do it in fall, only in spring. I kind of lean on the, the side where, yes, you can do it in fall and be successful. Um, I look at it as, well, we're still planting. You can still plant hostas this late in the season. As long as you were generous in the root ball and you didn't just dig this tiny little clump of a hosta out with only a few scraggly roots on it, mm -hmm. um, then, yes, you can be successful, but you want to get as much of that root system out with that hosta as possible. Yeah, and again, watching uh, uh, PBS, they take it all out, they split it with a very sharp blade down the middle, and then they rinse it off with a hose, clean it all up, make sure that the, the roots are spread out. It's, it's So it, you just don't cleave it and then throw it in a hole. 
Uh, you could because it's hard to kill a hosta, but I've seen a, I've seen on those garden shows they really take their time and get, they get a bucket and clean the roots out and spread them out. That's the best way to take your mm-hmm. time and do it. Be patient. But you're you're right though. Any of your bold plants now is a good time to split them. So your your Asiatic lilies, uh, your irises, like you had said, mm-hmm. um, even some of your if you can remember where they're at, uh, your alliums, your daffodils, your tulips. Now would be a good time if you wanted to relocate or split up some of those bulbous plants that bloom earlier in the spring. Now is a great time to do it so that they can get established and still bloom for you next year. If you try, if you waited too late into the season, then uh, you're not going to get any flowers on them. You know, I went out to my back porch and realized uh, there was a half of a pork chop on a plate on a table and uh, some burnt embers in my uh, on my grill, and I realized the bindweed had cooked its own pork chop. That stuff, how do you get rid of bindweed? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to stop leaving food out. <laughs> no, it cooked its own steak. You're, I don't know where it got it. it. Yeah. To come to your yard. <laughs> um, bindweed is... By the way, it's green. Oh, man. It's green, and it looks like um, pumpkin vine or whatever that is, but it just... Yeah, it's got that arrowhead shape to it. Yes, I went out, and it completely was covered in, in four days, completely went up to a rake I had left against the side of the house and was using the rake. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, bindweed, uh, in, in my professional uh, scientific verbiage, is a four-letter word. Yeah. Um, I, I can't stand that stuff. It is very difficult to get rid of. And the problem is, is it loves to grow mixed in with all of the plants that you love. It loves to grow in your perennial garden, your vegetable garden, areas that are very difficult to spray for. There's really nothing you can spray on it when it's mixed in with your garden, like that's with your with your perennial garden or, or your vegetable garden, that won't kill your beneficial plants as well, or the plants that you want. So that's where bindweed really, really is tough. And it usually doesn't emerge out of the ground um, in full force until well after your garden is, is established in summer. So it's really hard to pre-treat and to get ahead of it in spring. Uh, it's very difficult to find that before everything else starts emerging and spritzing it or spraying it uh, or removing it. I, so I'm just trying to figure out... I'm trying to figure out, because it just popped up in the last three years, I'm trying to figure out how mm-hmm. it got there. Seed. It just uh, it came from somewhere else, and, and the seed dropped and landed in your yard. You know what it is, too. Either and, the wind or birds spread a lot of seed. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Wow. And and with this bindweed, it's it's a nightmare. I have it in my garden, It's and it, it drives me nuts. It climbs up, and it pulls my plants down, some yes. of my taller perennials. It'll pull them down and, and make them hug the ground, uh, and uh, and then you try to yank it off, and it, and it rips your perennials. The thing is, too, is it can come back in full force from just the tiniest little sliver of a root system. So when you're yanking it out of the ground and you don't clean it out of the ground perfectly, um, which is very, very difficult to do, all you're doing is propagating it. You're taking that one plant and you rip it out of the ground and you maybe get two-thirds of the root system. Well, now you're going to have three plants. It's like a hydra. Now you're going to have three plants that take its place. So the best way to get on top of bindweed is, is in my opinion, manual control. 
Um, and I know that that's just a real booger of a task. Uh, and it's one of those things that I, I have a hard time keeping up with in my garden. It is in my vegetable garden. It is in my perennial garden. And it drives me nuts. And we're starting to wind down. Now, your garden, and you have a pretty extensive garden, has been kind of a microcosm. What you see in your garden is kind of what other people are uh, battling with. Uh, how has it been going so far? You said this is the year, not too many pests. No, and then I here I'm going to redact some of that. Uh, I've Uh-oh. spoken with my mom, and I just found this morning tomato hornworms oh. um, on my tomato plant. Something has been eating my tomatoes, and I thought it was uh, this squirrel that likes to roam and scope out my garden um, and trash talk my dog. And uh, I thought it was that squirrel that was climbing down because I have my tomatoes up against the fence in containers uh, with their tomato cages. And I just thought, oh, he's crawled along the wooden fence, and he's climbing down my tomato cages, and he's, he's chewing um, my tomatoes up, and I just found, I, I've spoken to my mom several times, and she's found um, those giant, large, they're like finger-sized, um, massive green caterpillars called tomato hornworms, and that they're called that because they have a horn on the end of their rear end, um, and they are massively destructive. They have appetites that don't cease. And there are probably some of the biggest caterpillars. If you haven't seen one, yeah, I've seen uh, look one. up an image of them. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. They are massive, and they can be severely destructive, um, kind of a farmer's bane for their tomato crop. And so I just figured out that that's what's been going after my Lemon Boy tomato, which is one of my favorite tomatoes. It's a yellow-orange variety that's not very acidic great on sandwiches, and I have uh, no tomatoes on it that don't have a massive chunk chewed out oh. of them. So how keep an eye out for your tomatoes. Can, how, can you prevent that, um, or how do you battle them? So you can. You, you probably have to spray, though. You have to find, and, and most sprays are not preventative. They're contact kill only. So you have to find oh. the pest first mm. and then hit it with the spray. And I wouldn't recommend using anything like the systemic that your plant absorbs because then it's going to get in the fruit mm-hmm. and you're going to be eating that. Wow. Um, so there are some organic sprays that will kill it. Um, there's, uh, there's BT, which is a, a specific type of bacteria that doesn't harm us. But essentially, paras- uh, it, you know, it parasitizes the tomato hornworms. Also, um, one of the most uh, notorious natural predators of those worms, if you see one of those and they have these little white, they look like little Tic Tacs, white Tic Tacs that are all over the back of that worm, well, those are egg sacs of a wasp that has parasitized the worm. And literally, uh, that it's going to be eaten alive by the larva of the wasp that has laid its eggs in and on the caterpillar. And so if you see that, let it be. It's, uh, you know, that nature has taken its course, and that caterpillar is going to die soon. Um, but I still recommend removing it from your leaf wow. um, or your tomato plant because it'll continue to eat. But my gosh, uh, three tomato worms on a tomato plant uh, can cause serious, serious havoc in 24 hours. So the, the this is a pest now. Is it every year or was this this year just yes. more of a ripe year? 
Uh, yes, it, it can happen every year, and it happens usually around this time. And I just, and they're very, very hard to see. They perfectly can camouflage themselves. And if you don't know what you're looking for, it can be very hard to spot them. So you need to, if you're noticing a weird decline in your tomato plants, um, things are getting chewed up inexplicably. The plant looks to be failing. Um, it's turning a lighter green color. Um, check the undersides of your leaves. Check the stems. Um, of them because they'll they'll hang out right on the stems of your plant and on the undersides of the leaves and like I said and when you see them you'll probably go oh my gosh uh, because yeah. it just it, it really catches you off guard because of how massive they are yeah is there any do they come from the ground is there any preventative thing you could put in the soil mid season that would kill them you know I I. I don't know. I, I guess I need to research that. I don't know yeah. where the moth that it evolves into, uh, I don't know where they lay their eggs, and if that's something that nematodes would control. I will have to do research on that and get back with you. Right. I have homework now to do. Oh, by the way, I was talking to someone in the lawn business, and they told me, just like you said that, uh, what is it, the uh, um, what beetle? Japanese beetles have been migrating west. Moving into our area is something called army worms. They're little caterpillars that chew up your grass and can turn it brown overnight, and then it's on the increase in this area. Yes, um, I just I just spoke with someone. So I spoke with one of the other horticulturists here, Jen, um, a little over a week ago, and she had brought that to my attention. And then shortly after that, I spoke with someone who had them in his yard. And one of the things you can do to test and see if you have them in your yard, if you can't figure out what's happening to your grass and it is quickly deteriorating and you're getting big brown patches, in that brown patch, get some soapy water, a little bit of Dawn dish soap, um, and uh, mix it up in a bucket and pour it on that area, and that'll make all these little army worms start wiggling and writhing about. Yeah, and you can um, see them. And you'll know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's normally something that stays south of us, like right. south, um, southeast of us, and they are migrating up. Um, and one of the theories is that I just read was that they've come up in the storms. With all of these big storms that we've had um, that have been coming from, uh, some of them even uh, south of us, that they have been, their eggs have been riding in these massive storms and then falling down to us in the rainfall. Yeah. So, so as you brought up uh, ecosystems, there's a perfect example of an interesting ecosystem that just happened. Yeah. So if you see your yard browning, and it can happen almost overnight if there's enough of them, uh, check for those army worms. Um, and then how do you and treat grub-X that? grub will work. Oh, grub will work. Okay. So we, are, we just ordered some more, um, and so hopefully we will be getting some in stock here. But if you're noticing it, don't wait for us to have it in stock. If you can find it at a, at a local hardware store or garden center, pick it up. And it's in a granular form. Um, and the active ingredient, this is something that Jen had researched, and she's very knowledgeable on her chemicals, um, had researched and found that the active ingredient in GrubX or grub control, granular grub control, will also kill the army webworms or the army worms. And by the way, the grubs are coming out now. This is their season, too. So, all right. Uh, yeah, might as well spray it on. Get, get yeah. that granular down uh-huh. and, uh, and start knocking out those buggers. But, yeah, thanks for reminding me on those army worms. Yeah. And it's still new to me. It's, 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 it's something I'm not used to having to diagnose. Yeah. All right, we got about nine minutes left. Uh, one of my favorite segments is 
Ethan wanders the yard. Last week we were talking about uh, diminutive or dwarf trees. Although I heard I heard from the uh, little dwar- uh, little people uh, tree society that we can't call them dwarf trees anymore. So I'm calling them diminutive trees. Uh, yes, there we go. Yeah. So uh, shade trees. Now we are getting into fall planting season. If you want a good shade tree, maybe you got a yard that's just too hot. You want to put a shade tree in that area. I've noticed that shade trees uh, in a very sunny area will uh, definitely help the grass in that area. If you got a burned out section, you want to put a shade tree in. What's your favorite shade trees you're looking at? Well. Um for me, one of my favorites is, and I, I think I kind of stand out a little bit from the, the the average here, but one of my favorites is called a Happy Days Sweet Gum. Um, and Sweet Gum has a very interesting star-shaped leaf to it. Uh, not quite, it kind of looks like a hybrid of a standard maple leaf and, uh, and a Japanese maple leaf, but it's a deep green, uh, large leaf. It's a very fast-growing tree. And the Happy Days selection is a seedless variety, um, so nothing to worry about there. Um, wait, 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 wait. Into... What do you mean by seedless? Well, sweet gums can produce uh, a specific seed that's that spiky ball. Um, if any of you are familiar with, you've probably seen them. It's like a hollowed out, dry, uh, smaller than a golf ball um, seed pod with these little spikes around it. Nothing that sticks to you or stabs you, really. But uh, that's the seed pod of a sweet gum. And so because of that, uh, they can sometimes be listed as being weedy trees, kind of like a silver maple, where it's a very fast-growing tree. Um, it's, it's relatively sturdy and hardy, but it has seeds, um, and, then, and each one of those seeds can, uh, can grow into an individual plant, potentially. Uh, so the Happy Days variety is a seedless cultivar, and it has a beautiful fall color as well, kind of a maroonish, reddish, kind of like blotches of red, blotches of purple, sometimes blotches of orange. So if you're into fall color, fast-growing tree, seedless, Happy Days Sweet Cum is a good selection. How big do they get? Oh, it'll, uh, once it gets established, it's probably going to start growing two, three feet a year, so pretty fast-growing rate, and it's going to get 40, 50 feet tall and wide. All right, here's a question that some people may not ask that's very important. Uh, how far do you have to plant it from your house? Because a lot of people, when they get sewers, uh, they get tree uh, trees. I just talked to someone... Uh, they bought a house. It had been sitting for three years, and a tree just got into their sewer system, and just uh, mm. they got to put in a whole new sewer system because of tree roots. And we should start talking yep. about that. How far away from the house or an area should you put that? So I recommend. Uh, I'm not usually. I don't usually advocate planting a tree close enough to the point where limbs are growing over your house. Mm-hmm. I know that some people like that look. Um, but the closer the tree is, then yes, the closer you're going to have roots to your house that could damage the foundation, lines underneath the house or running from the house. So a tree, when you're looking at the width of the tree, um, I usually cut that in half and recommend that's how far away or how close do they go with the house. So for this Happy Day Sweet Gun that wants to get in the ballpark of 40 feet wide, I would recommend someone keep it 20 feet away from their house. Mm-hmm. And not only will that... 
hopefully prevent any large branches from growing over the house and potentially causing damage to the house in a storm, but also will help prevent the roots from growing and damaging the foundation of that house. As for the most part, the biggest, most vigorous roots are going to stay within the canopy of that tree. Mm-hmm. So if it's going to be a 40 to 50 foot wide tree, you're probably going to have a 40 to 50 foot wide root system when that tree is mature. You know, um, the other thing to concern yourself with branches uh, hanging over and onto your roof is ants, carpenter ants. Uh, you don't want to build a bridge for them. Right, right. Yes, yeah, you would definitely encourage some critters to get to you. Yeah. All right, uh, next up, uh, another one of your favorite shade trees. Yeah, so another great variety, um, a little bit off the beaten path, is called a London bla- a London plane tree. Now, the London plane tree uh, is a fast-growing variety. It's the substitute that I recommend for people who come in looking for a silver maple. Um, silver maples are fast-growing trees. Um, they have a yellow fall color, and um, they are uh, notoriously fast-growing as well. And uh, they have, uh, if you didn't know any uh, better, you would think that it was a maple if you saw it. It has a very uh, maple-like leaf to it. And we have, they're, like I said, they give maples a run for their money as far as being fast-growing. And, uh, and so that's a great tree to consider. And because they're so fast-growing, they tend to be a little bit less expensive than some of their counterparts because uh, they just grow so fast. I mean, we have some in 15-gallon containers that are easily uh, three to five feet taller than all of their counterparts in containers just because of how fast-growing they are. So if you're looking for a very fast-growing tree, uh, you like the idea of a silver maple, then a London plane tree would be an excellent choice for you. Give me one more. Um, So another uh, one that's kind of off the beaten path uh, on the seedless uh, kick is a brandywine maple. Um, The brandywine maple uh, has a reddish-purple fall color. It is also a seedless variety, uh, and we carry several varieties of red maples, um, and this being one of them, it's a true red maple, but it's a little bit slower growing. There's always the checks and balances, so it's not going to be as fast growing as, say, our red point maple is or our autumn blaze maple. Um, uh, but like I said, the, the trade-off is you have a seedless tree, and it has a nice purplish fall, uh, purplish red fall color. Um, so really, really nice tree and a nice rounded form, uh, and it only gets about 30 feet tall and wide, too. Now, if someone buys a tree, and we're about in tree planting time, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, Are you going to go over the basics? Because a lot of yours now, I believe, have moved into containers, but do you have to really uh, look for the girdling roots, and and, and is there a, a way to spread out those roots before you plant it? So if you're buying a bald and burlap tree, one that's already been cut and wrapped in burlap, has a cage around it, you probably don't have to worry about girdling roots at all. But if you're buying a, a tree in a container, um, a solid container with no splits, or um, so there's, there's certain uh, uh, striations that are in certain pots that we have, and those are called air prune pots to help with girdling roots. So if you buy a tree that's in a solid um, container that only has drain holes at the bottom, before you plant that, I recommend getting a box cutter or a small knife and, and making cuts about every six to eight inches around that tree, about an inch, two inches deep, 
uh, and just cuts all the way down the root ball um, and then maybe make an X or so at the bottom of that root ball before you put it in the ground. And that'll absolutely help with girdling roots and preventing that from happening. All right, so we're into the fall season, a lot of fall colors. Uh, Next week we'll get back into what's new because you've got new fall stuff coming in all the time and uh, what surprises there are. So we'll talk a little bit about decorating for the fall. In fact, you can go out there uh, today or and tomorrow, tomorrow's Saturday. Uh, what, what are your hours? So we're open 9 to 5 now, 9 to 5 Monday through Saturday. Okay, so those are the hours. And go mm-hmm. out. Uh, it's uh, just exploding in fall colors, all sorts of corn, all sorts of different things to decorate your front porch as we get into my favorite time of the year, 60s and 70s, cool nights, and uh, all sorts of fall colors on the front porch and the back porch. So we'll talk to you next week about that and get into more trees as it is fall planting season four trees and uh, we'll give you all the various varieties fast growing uh, tall uh, more slim and compact all that coming up next week on green thumb from hair nursery every saturday at seven o'clock for ethan wise i'm dandy oreo saying so long and have a good weekend